Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 89. It's a guest show this week. We've got the one and only Bernie Solo with us. Welcome, Bernie. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. I even had the bell ready. That's how that's how excited I am that Bernie's on the show. So, <clears throat> Bernie, uh, we're dying to know because that was one heck of a pre-show. What is your dominant skill set? My <laughs> dominant skill set for today <laughs> is metal turning on a lathe. All right, metal lathe. All right, metal turning, <laughs> metal lathing. We'll we'll accept lathing. Both. Lathing, yeah, yeah, lathing. We're here for the lathing. What <laughs> skill class is metal turning? It is uh, skill class forty-two. That is the correct answer. Forty-two is the answer to everything. Yes, it is. And probably, I'm guessing about twenty-five percent of this audience will get that <clears throat> reference. Anyway, oh, uh, more moving. Than that. Uh, well, give them some credit. We're, we're getting older, Tanda. I'm just saying. There's, there's young folks don't like to read. Yeah. Anyway, moving right along, uh, let's move into uh, research on metal turning. Bernie, did you do any research for us? Yeah, I did. Hit us I with did, it. and I printed it on a paper because I'm that old. Uh, let's see. So metal turning itself in general uh, was kind of invented um, back in, I don't know, there's a little bit of debate about it, um, how old it is. The 1700s, uh, the first actual lathe was in the 1800s. Um, and uh, most of my research, I kind of focused on the South Bend Lathe Works Company because that's my favorite lathe. I've got two South Bend lathes. One's from 1936 and one's from 1947. And uh, so the uh, the uh, South Bend Machine Tool Company was founded in 1906, but then 1908, they changed the name. They moved locations still in South Bend, Indiana uh, to South Bend Lathe Works, which is what it stayed to be after that. And uh, they were very, very substantial company um, for a long time. In fact, the let's see they i've got my interesting fact here too that i want to share with you guys um let's see the uh da, 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 they were oh yeah oh, the company was only 25 years old when they became the largest exclusive manufacturer of metal working precision lays in the world they had company they had customers in over 88 countries um uh, one of the things too, I don't know, uh, you, uh, PJ, you might not know, but may, maybe you do because you may have come upon it. There was a there's a famous book that is the um, How to Run a Lathe by the yeah. South Bend Company. Uh, you guys probably that. all know about that. Yeah, it's still in print. Um, in fact, uh, basically the historians are saying that that's one of the things that uh, made not only were their machines good, but the South Bend Lathe Works um, Company. Hey, Bernie. Was become famous because of the yeah you got it right there yeah how to run a lathe uh that book actually because of because of the training that that book had and how basic and how easy that book is to understand 
it was used in schools and then the they they would say oh wow this is something that's maybe a school or training program uh, you know government schools whatever colleges could use and then they'd say well we might as well just get south bend lathes for our shop because that's who wrote the book so you know so it kind of go go both ways they would either you know get the lathes and then find the book or get they find the book and then get the lathes so but uh, the one really interesting fact that I found out that I didn't know when I was doing the research, because I already knew quite a bit because I, I, I own a couple of them, was that, um, let's see, one of the family members was the, uh, oh, the O'Brien brothers, born in Ireland, O'Briens. They uh, immigrated to the U.S. and lived, and there, was, there were twin brothers that started the company and ran South Bend Lays. But in 1946, the daughter and niece of... The O'Brien brothers invented the disposable diaper. Oh, that's going to be really hard to use on on a machine lathe, though. No, not if you're working long hours. Oh no! If you've got a if you get a long hours and you've got yeah. to just sit there and crank out parts, that's the disposable diapers the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Because if you're trying to clean the diaper, that takes away time from your work. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I was wrong on that one. That's yeah, a, you want to have true. the diaper come by just behind all of the machinists and just rip them right off throw them in a bin hmm. and put them in a cart and keep going that yeah. explains a lot of the chip burning on the skin yeah for sure <laughs> yeah 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 you want to make it quick you don't want to be fussing with with safety pins while there are chips flying and you don't have your diaper on that's mm-hmm. a dangerous situation it has nothing that's to true. do with whether you're wearing pants or not either it doesn't matter yeah, no that's, pants. That, that that's outside the scope of this podcast, Bernie. But but that's cool. Thank you. I did not know that, and uh, we're all probably going to have nightmares about it tonight. Uh, Tom, uh, did you do any research? Uh, no, not really. But um, I might as well say now I've been keeping myself muted this whole time because it is downpouring in my metal roofed shop, and it's actually a little bit of a lull right now. So if I had research, this would be a good time to do it. Um, the only thing I'll add is I went to the Precision Museum in Vermont, uh, like probably three, four years ago now, and they had a very, very early lathe that had granite ways. Wow. Yeah, it was cool. There was a lot of cool stuff there. They even had the first Bridgeport mill. Mm-hmm. They have number one. Like if you look uh, now... To be clear, the head is the heads are older than the actual base of the bridge ports, so they have number one the number one base. Um, Bernie, if you slide your your what is that called now? I'm going to say it wrong. Um, if you slide your table forward, you can see your number, your serial number. Yes, and you can look up the exact date in the casting. And um, yeah, uh, or is it I a think it's stamped. It's yeah. stamped. No, it's it's uh it's stamped in the cast in the casting I guess. Yeah. Um, it's not cast in the casting. That's what I, my point is. But they have literally number one, which is kind of cool. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. Cool. Factoid, so what, year, Tom. what year would that have been from? Uh, I don't know. Fifties? I'll look it up. I thought it was the thirties. Right it was the thirties. I, I, I was it? thinking so too, like thirty-six or thirty-eight or something like that. Yeah, because they'd been they'd been making the heads since uh, wasn't it the twenties? I think. I'd have to I'd have to double check I'll, that. I'll I'll find out for you. I'll find out for you in two minutes. All right. Uh, go on to the next. Tanda, you're up. 
I, I think I'm going to make this one, uh, one one for the listeners to look up. Um, I tried to find the first CNC lathe, thinking that might be interesting. And I found lots of history of like in the 19, you know, like 1949, 1952, MIT was developing, you know, machine tool technology <clears throat> to do what is NC and later became CNC. Um, and then there, the earliest I could find that it said someone made a CNC lathe was in the 1970s. And I find it hard to believe that there was that big of a gap between uh, the first uh, CNC mill and uh, the CN first CNC lathe. So that was, that was interesting. So if you find it, um, if you can find evidence of the very first commercial CNC lathe, send it to PJ. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't send it to me because I probably won't. I probably won't notice. But send it. Send it to BJ and then DM him like fourteen um, shorts of people and dogs. Please, at least yeah. fourteen. Uh, so, Tom's got the that's answer. It, that's all I've got. Oh yeah, nineteen thirty-eight is uh, when number one was made, and that's still that's not referring to the head. That's referring to the number on the knee of the mill which is what I'm talking about, which is what we just talked about. So 1938, it's not, guys, this is not that long ago. No, it's not. 80 mm -hmm. years? 80 years? Yeah. One generation, two, well, two, three generations. I don't know. Yeah. 1938. I mean, our, our parents, like, people are still alive from 1938. were, like, born during the time of modern day machine tools. And, and I don't certain, know what you mean by certain, our, but. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like electric. Uh, machine tools. Well, my, <laughs> well, so here's what's crazy. My grandfather was a machinist, and he... Oh, I should have thought about this before I started talking. Um, he was born in, 19, in the 20s. I think he was born in the 20s, because he fought in World War II in the 40s. Um, yeah, late 20s. So, like... He was alive before Bridgeport Mills were even a thing, and then he became a machinist, which is kind of cool. I know there were machinists before Bridgeport Mills. I get that. But it's just weird how history overlaps, and you think things are ancient, but they're not. So some things are ancient, Tom. That's, that's why they're in well, history. Well, that's accurate. Yeah. That's, well, that's ancient history, though. Some of it is. Yeah. What, what, what have I, you what got, I'm, PJ? My point is, Bridgeport is modern history. No, I'm not done arguing, Tanda. <laughs> I agree with you, Tom. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, your turn, PJ. All right. So, um, I I don't have a lathe, a machine lathe, but I have been lusting after one particular machine lathe for quite some time, even though I can't buy it even when I find them. And I have found a couple. Uh, the sexiest to me of all the machinist lathes out there is made by the Monarch Machine Company. Monarch lathes are by far the sexiest, most reliable lathes out there. They are very curvy, and uh, they're known for their dependability. So I decided to do a little dive into their history and see what kind of cool little nuggets I could find, uh, you know, about them. <clears throat> so. Uh, the Monarch Machine Company, the name change happened in 1909, but prior to that, they were known as the Sebastian May Company, and uh, the only record is in 1888 uh, it is mentioned, 
that they were a company and that they made band saws, circular saws, uh, a whole bunch of other machine tools, drill presses, and things like that. Uh, and then moving forward to 1890, I found this kind of interesting. Uh, in an issue of The Electrical Engineer, there was somebody visiting the plant, and they were, you know, just kind of interviewing the, the people there and finding out information. And originally, uh, the, the factory was powered by a motor in an adjacent building that ran a shaft from one building to another, but the whole building was underpowered. So then somebody came in and convinced the owner that he needed a different motor to run the place. And they ended up with a 20 horsepower Queen City electric motor that was 440 volts that ran the entire factory noiselessly, which I find that really interesting in 1890 that they had a, a, a 20 horsepower motor to run everything. The whole factory. Right. So, uh, anyway, there was that. Uh, so, like I said, 1909, uh, they became the Monarch Machine Company. And the only lathes that they offered was a 14-inch and 16-inch swing lathe. Uh, that was what they first started out with. They had just moved to Sydney, Ohio, and they had 20 employees. So, it was still pretty small. Uh, 1914... They announced their first electric motor-driven lathe. So they that, that makes me think, like, I guess the other ones were horse-driven or something. Well, no, they were uh, probably belt-driven. I mean, there was a motor that drove the whole shop, and then they were belt-driven. Line shaft. probably why a lot of old lathes <clears throat> were, were a motor sitting behind something that can be driven by a belt. Yeah. So it was kind of that stopgap. So this one, the motor was geared to the spindle through cloth gearing and had a 3 to 1 variable speed. Uh, some of these were the first lathes that went aboard U.S. battleships, which I found kind of interesting. Uh, in 1917, they introduced a 24-inch and 30-inch swing lathes. And uh, these were the majority of the lathes in production that went to France and England as part of the war effort. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Then in uh, 1918, they introduced the 22-inch and 26-inch. And this gave them a complete offering of lathes from 14-inch to 30 inches. So that's a heck of a spread right there. Uh, in 1920 to 1922, there was a severe tool recession, and Monarch nearly went out of business. Their employees uh, were mostly laid off. There was only three office workers and a handful of shop employees left on a rotating basis like throughout the week. So they, they were nearly done for. And then in 1923, Monarch developed the first helical geared lathe headstock in the USA and this was an eight-speed headstock uh, designed by Fred Dickus and Pete Bickle so that that just makes it you even better definitely call that the Dickle Bickus it's the Dickus Bickle the Dickle Bickus I don't know it's one of those two so. yeah that sounds better and uh, the last little fact I've got here is that in 1929 is when Monarch started assigning individual serial numbers to all of their lathes. 
and prior to that they estimate that there was 15,218 lathes made from 1909 to 1927. It's because they, they really couldn't track them without the numbers. Uh, and Monarch is still in business today, and I looked up their website, and I was severely disappointed. Of course, all the sexiness is gone. There's, there's none of the, the old-school sexiness that we see in the, the vintage machines. But they don't use the Monarch name anymore. Their lathes... I don't even know if they make them because their lathes are called uh, Wheelers. That's the brand. It's the Wheeler lathe. And I'm like, really? Monarch sounds way better. So I don't know if they're reselling these lathes or if they're even making them. But the company's still around and they still make parts for the vintage lathes. And I don't know if it was a little hazy if they restore vintage lathes. But they did say that there are people restoring these Monarch lathes because they're such high quality. People yeah, there's still, still a lot them. of Monarch lathes around. Yeah. Anyway, that was my little research and tidbits and stuff. And someday I will own like Bernie. So the, so the reason that PJ turned down my uh, seven by fourteen tiny lathe that I was just going to give him is because he, he doesn't have enough room is so he can get a 30-inch swing Monarch lay. Yes. Yeah. That's the reason. I didn't want to hurt your feelings, Tanda. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what it is. Sorry, but uh, you found out now. That's okay. I gave it to somebody else. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. All right. So I'm still confused. Bernie, did you want to share your deal or is it just outright you're like not telling nobody because it's a secret? No, I'm going to share it because you guys are special and your uh -huh. audience is special. Oh. We so, do ride the short bus. Yeah, Yeah. so I, I, there's a, uh, a reseller, resale, uh, resale shop, liquidator uh, place that I know that's near where I live, which is undisturbed. Undisclosed. It's undisclosed. It's undisclosed. Yeah, um, yeah. So he, he, they, they work auctions, and a lot of the thing people that they do auctions for are um, machine shops that are going out of business or moving or something like that. You know, you know, like estate sales basically for shops and things like that. So he'll end up with uh, things that he he bids on himself and things like that that he gets, and he can get deals on things like that. So anyway, so but he has a he has a a, a place near me that um, I, I stop in every once in a while and. Uh, pick up used end mills because uh, in industry, um, especially with CNC stuff, uh, because of the tolerances that they're so tight that a lot of these um, machines they will run uh, their tools uh, only through a couple of cycles um, and then they'll replace them even if they're not there because the wear there's a little bit of wear on them and it's going to change their tolerances so they just. It's a cost-effective, efficient for them to just swap out their tooling. And they end up with the, you know, and then the shop's like, well, these aren't really, they're not really worn out. We don't really want to throw them away. So they end up just sort of stockpiling them. And uh, you end up with these uh, pretty nice uh, uh, cutters that are used only a couple of times. And um, so this guy gets a hold of them and uh, he sells them for a pretty good price. So anyway, I just went through and I went through my drawer uh, here at the my garage shop and I looked at some things that I didn't only had one or two of and uh, figured I'd, you know, because if you're doing a job and you're just like, um, you know, what is the, uh, 
uh, Aaron, they used to work for Jimmy that he passed away recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used to say, you know, one is none, two is, two is one, one is none type of a thing. So, you know, yep. if you're working on something, especially like I've got this project that I've been working on that's uh, I'm making these little brass fittings that are um, uh, 12, 24 thread, which is not a real common size. And uh, I, I bought taps. I only bought two taps uh, for that job. And I, I was realizing that I was under a pinch and I was working all-nighters a couple of times on these things and thinking, oh, if I broke one of those taps, that's not going to be good. So I went and stocked up on some sizes or some things like that. So so I got doubles of a few things now. So it's kind of nice. That drawer is pretty pretty well stocked now. So anyway, that was a, that was a good deal. I got some really good deals. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you that the thing that will really – it's cringeworthy in a really good way is that this fella sells these cutters by the pound. I'll leave it on that note. So yeah, Bernie, Bernie doesn't want to let go of his secret source, which I don't blame him because whenever I have a secret source, I try to keep that close also. But if you do need a good deal on some end mills, I made this offer up months ago and I had somebody interested and then they just dropped out. I've got 200 end mills from little tiny to very big, and I offered it to the guy for 200 bucks, dollar and end mill. So if you're interested, get at me. If you want just a specific size, I probably have it. So and they're in the same condition like Bernie's saying. You know, they're they're none of them. I, I think I maybe saw a chipped part on one out of 200, and I might have even thrown that one out. But anyway, uh, that's cool, Bernie. Uh, I, I almost didn't have anything for the dealer's corner, but then I went to my discount store and I got something that was definitely worthy of mentioning. So uh, these are Norton brand, and I'm going to show the guys. You guys at home can't see this, but this is like uh, an eight-inch carbide burr, maybe maybe bigger than eight. Hold on, let me get the let me get the ruler out here. This is. Why does that exist? Yeah, so it's got uh, like a, a one inch conical burr, but then the the shank is really seven, long, like eight seven inches, inches, seven eight inches. Seven yeah. inches. I just measured it. So, uh, I paid four dollars for hmm. this. Okay, and I looked it up, and these go for forty four dollars, brand new. Is okay? it carbide? And this is this is carbide. Yeah, carbide oh. burr for my die grinder. So I got that. <clears throat> And then um, they had, I only got one big long one. They had several big long ones, but then I also got uh, some of these normal size ones that are kind of like maybe a three inch. And um, I've got the one that's sort of like a conical head. I got another one that's around like a ball burr. And then another one that's uh, another different kind of like a different spiral cut conical head. Anyway, those were all uh, $2.99 for the three of those each. So $3 each, so $9. And I found a set of five on a website for 90 bucks, Norton brand. So um, I paid like, you know, what, $14, $13, something like that. And it's, it's like a $120 worth of, or actually more than that, like $130 worth mm-hmm. of carbide burrs. And then the other thing I picked up, which I don't know if this is the right name, but I've been I've been cutting wire brushes to make these, and these are actually the things I need. They had these listed as tube brushes, so mm-hmm. it's it's like a wire brush, 
but these are actually the it's it's a heavier duty the wire is twisted and on the wire brushes when i buy them if i if i get in a tight spot it actually undoes like the wires like it'll un untighten itself and then all of the the wire like the brush itself will fall out um, but these are actually tighter and thicker and I, i've got a whole bag of them here i'm not going to bring them all out but they they went off this like this one i don't know if you could tell but this is like a corkscrew the way that this is um put together mm -hmm. versus this which is just like a regular brush um so these are and they're made by a company called blue flame which i tried to look up on the internet and i cannot find them anywhere i don't know um if the company went out of business or what but i got a whole bag of these they were a dollar each and um i i don't do you know tanda are these called tube brushes Mm, probably. I mean, I don't. I mean, the metal version of it, I guess you could use it for cleaning out the inside of tubing. Um, I mean, it's like a test tube brush, but it's like it, it's made for metal work. Yeah. But but the shape of it is just like a, a test tube brush or a tube brush like you would use in a chemistry lab yeah. or a bottle bottle <clears throat> brush. You hear them called bottle brushes. So I got I got a whole bag of those, um, which I use those all the time. I'm constantly running through them, and I have a bin full of those things whenever I'm restoring stuff. Um, and uh, the only other thing I got uh, is a Bluebird humidity sensor, which you can look those up. They're everywhere. But um, my dehumidifier in the basement, which try to keep everything from rusting, the humidity sensor that's built into it just up and died. <clears throat> So uh, the dehumidifier was not dehumidifying. So I unplugged the sensor, and if you do that, it'll just run constantly. It won't ever turn off. So um, my buddy over at Duran Violins is like, hey, I've got to keep all my violins at a specific humidity or bad things happen. He said, go get this Bluebird sensor. And, and it's basically, it's almost like a power strip. You plug your dehumidifier into it, and then you set the humidity uh, setting, like what you want it to be. And then it has a sensor that you can run on a long cord away from the dehumidifier to get like a reading from the middle of the room. And then it gives you the actual humidity and it gives you the target. And then it just turns the outlet on and off and that turns the dehumidifier on and off. And I got a deal on that. They're normally uh, 45 bucks and I got one off of eBay for 28. Brand new open box. So, that's my deals. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. Alright, it's time for personal history. Bernie, why don't you tell us how you got into metal turning? I got into metal turning back in... Let's see, that would have been... Oh, 18, probably 2016, 2017. And it was because I was um, a parent volunteer on my son's robotics team for, um, for uh, first robotics competition. And so the students were learning machine shop stuff. And I was basically a parent that was there, you know, making sure everybody counted their fingers. And uh, um the more I, more I watched what they were doing, the more I interested I got into uh, learning it. So uh, my son was, at the time, was, would have been 17, 16, 17 years old, was learning metal lathe along with uh, milling machine, you know, Bridgeport type stuff. And um, 
got interested in it. He was very interested in it, thinking that he may end up wanting to actually, you know, do machining for a career. And uh, so we, uh, you know, I, I kept getting more interested. And, and so at the school, I, I, I said, hey, you know, can I just try some of this stuff out? And then there was a couple of the uh, other uh, parent mentors that were there. Uh, that were actually machinists or engineers that did machining, you know, that, that knew something about it that was teaching the kids and they showed me to do some, how to do some stuff. And um, then, uh, as I say, which is all true, that I bought my first lathe by accident. We were, we were going <laughs> to the, uh, yeah, it, no, it's true. It wasn't just, not, I'm just not making this up. I mean, I could have made it up, but the uh we were we there's a um a metal supply place that we would go to uh they would have cutoffs and things like that for uh, mostly aluminum because the robots we wanted to be light so most of the robot was the frame was made out of aluminum and we were there buying a bunch of aluminum and my son and i were there because we were that was our mission to go get metal cutoff pieces just random stuff that we could you know prototype the robots with um and uh so we were there, and uh, we put all the stuff up on the counter. The guy was weighing it and measuring it, all the pieces, and totaling up what we had there. And there was a couple of pieces of brass in the pile. And the guy said, well, why, what is the, why, why is there these two pieces of brass uh, in this pile of all this aluminum? <clears throat> and my son said, oh, because I really like to turn brass just for fun. Because it's, well, Tanda, you probably know. I don't know if you guys, mm -hmm. guys have experience with that, but, you know, brass is really a fun thing to turn. Um, it's, it, you get instant results. It's real nice. It's shiny and all that stuff. So anyway, he said, he liked to turn it. And so the guy said, uh, he said, Oh, you do, what do you do? He said, Oh, I do it at the school, you know, on the lathe at the school. And, uh, the guy says, Oh, you don't have your own lathe. And he said, no, I don't have my own lathe. And the guy said, do you want one? And so, you know, my son's like, look, his eyes light up like, you know, and he, he like looks at me and I'm like, um, okay, so what's going on here? <clears throat> and the guy says, well, I got this old South Bend lathe. He goes, I bought it a few years ago, put it in the garage, never even turned it on. And uh, it's kind of blocking the way, you know, I'm married. My wife can't put her car in the garage because we don't have room and I'd like to get rid of this thing. He'll sell it to you for what I bought it for. So um, I researched a little bit about South Bends. I kind of knew that they were, a, you know, kind of a neat collectible thing and whatever. And Anyway, so we went over to the guy's house, and he said that he uh, he had it. And he said, I paid 500 bucks for it. He goes, it's just like it is. Like I said, I haven't even turned it on. We did. We turned it on, looked it over a little bit, and uh, gave him his 500 bucks. And we loaded it in the back of my uh, SUV, and we drove home with it. So got it home, and we started you know playing around with it in the garage, and we learned it. So it was an accident. It really was an accident that we... Uh, I uh, got that first uh, the first lathe. So um, and I, I bought my I mean not the same. We're not talking about bridge ports or milling, but uh, I bought the the mill by accident also. PJ, hey Bernie, did you have something? You, yeah, what's going on? What what <clears throat> model South Bend was it? It's a South Bend nine, which is, means it's a nine inch swing and it's a three foot bed. So it's and it's a model C. They have an model A, B, C. and a C. The Model A's okay. have the full gearbox. The Model B doesn't have a gearbox, but it does have a power cross slide, and the C is the most manual of all of them. So that's what I gotcha. have. Gotcha. I have two C's, actually, now, in 1936 and in 1947. Sounds like you're beautiful below sea level. <clears throat> yeah, well, or right at. Ouch. <laughs> 
uh, right at sea level. But anyway, that's how I, that's how I got into it. And then I just I just started wanting to learn more about it. And the more I learned about lathes, uh, the more I found out that that, that my f- you know first guess was that lathes were just meant for turning like making these round things. But um, a lathe can do a lot of stuff. In fact, a lot of you know woodworker conversations. I'll say, what's your first? What's the first woodworking tool you should get? You know, well in a metal in a wood metalworking environment. Um, the recommendation would be a lathe because you can do so much with it. Yep. It's, it's amazing what you can do with it. Some of the things, you, some of the tasks you can do, you can even do milling on them. And it's like, you know, if you don't have a mill, <laughs> you know, but it will, it will do it, you know? Um, so it, it can, you, you can do, if you have a grinding attachment, you can do grinding, you can do a lot of different things with them. So, um, you know, I even have a, I just met this new one that I just got new to me, the 47. Uh, it came with a box of a bunch of extra parts. And something I got that I didn't even know existed before was a Jacobs drill chuck that the back of it has a um, one and a half, eight threaded um, female end to it. So it goes on the spindle. They actually have a, a Jacobs oh. drill, and it's standard. It wasn't something that somebody put together. It's actually Jacobs made them um, with the South Bend uh, spindle thread on it. So I actually, I, I don't know what to Why? do with it. I, I saw it in the catalog as I was researching the South Bend uh, just think, uh, today that it's, they just said it's made for small parts. It's putting like little things in. I think that in, uh, so. Quinn may have recently, maybe I'm just imagining this. I think I just watched a Blondie oh. Hacks video where she um, – Put a drill chuck in the spindle instead of traditionally as you would in the tailstock to do something. Really, I'll have to look for that. I watch yeah. I watch your videos. Yeah, so you can you know your spindle is a Morse taper three. Yeah, Morse taper two is in the tailstock. Yeah, and you can put a drill truck in there. You know those those are pretty common. I didn't know they made one for a spindle, and it's you're saying it's to hold small parts basically. That's what the catalog says. It's just for using for for, cool. for small things, but you can put small things in a regular three jaw chuck or a four jaw chuck too. But yeah, but they you know, they they meet a limit. You know, like my my regular chucks probably tap out around quarter inch or a little less than that, which is small, for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, it'll be interesting. I have to kind a little play drill chuck that just got a straight shank that you can put in a larger drill chuck. And then, could, it, and then you, it's spring-loaded, uh, and those are really handy. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit different yeah. thing, but if you, you put in a standard Jacobs chuck and then you have a little drill chuck that will hold a little tiny, like if you're using a 16th inch or a little tiny uh, drill. Yeah. And then and then it's spring-loaded, or so it has like a little follower, and so you can grab this little knurled wheel and push the drill bit out, but then you have a sense of it grabbing or biting or, you know, much much better feel than you would just cranking the handle on your tailstock, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. that's a handy tool to have around. I might have actually seen a Joe Pye video where he's got something like that going on. Yeah, that's quite. Either that or it was a small tiny tap he was using like that. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Sounds yeah, no, I think I've, I he has a video where he's using a little drill <coughs> like that or a few of them. I know he has yeah. one. I've seen him use it in his videos. Who is that? Joe Pye. Joe Pye. Joe Pizinski. Oh, okay. Is that the name of his channel? Yes, um, I think so. If you look on YouTube so, yeah. for Joe Pizinski, you'll find find him. I'm going to have to find him later when I tag everybody. So, Bernie, what was the why did you get the second lathe? Is it is it bigger? It sounds like it was the same model. 
It's the same model. It's a nine, uh, but the bed's longer. It's a four and ah. a half foot, which is the longest bed that they made at the at the time. And it's also it's in slightly better shape uh, than my old one. My my uh, thirty six nineteen thirty six is it, it's fairly used, um, you know, as far as the wear goes on it. But this uh, forty seven is in really really good condition. Plus, it's longer too. And I, you know. Y- y- I say that that the little one is a three foot bed. Well, you think okay, well it's a three foot lathe, but the the space between points on that, um, if you're working with points, is only sixteen inches though. So you're, and and now I have a um, a collet chuck on it, which is an aftermarket collet chuck. So it's a it's a scroll um, mm-hmm. collet chuck, which takes up a lot of space. So that scroll it's got to be almost eight inches of chuck, and so it takes up a lot. Oh. So I only have about I don't know, t- 10 or 12 inches of space between my the tailstock and the and the spindle. So I mean, that lathe just all of a sudden got really small. So for making small parts and stuff, it's fine. Uh, but when I came upon this one, and and this this the gentleman was living it too far from me that had this uh, 1947, and uh, where was it? it? Was on on Facebook Marketplace, I think it was. And I saw it on there, and I saw some of the pictures of it, and. Um, Again, and that that like I said, the first one was five hundred dollars, and this fellow was asking uh, eight hundred dollars for this one, which I know that they can easily go for over a thousand dollars. And I saw that it was in fairly good condition from the photos, and when I went there, it, it was just as good or better than. In fact, anything that I saw on it that looked like it was rusted, it turned out that it wasn't rust; it was oil that had varnished because it hadn't been used. So basically it had preservative over it where I thought it was rust. It was actually preserved with this oil that had turned to varnish. So I still don't have it all cleaned up yet, but it actually is cleaning off. And as I'm cleaning it, I'm finding a nice surprise with anybody that's ever bought an old lathe or an old piece of machinery that it's the big surprise is that somebody did not paint it some horribly bright blue, green, red, orange, or something like that. I'm actually finding the original <laughs> hey, hey, machine hey, gray hey, hey. on there. So, or all of the above colors. So, no. If you if you want an original, well, you know, PJ, who do you know? Who do you know that wants machines in their original state? Only you, Bernie. Only that's you. right. So that's only me. That's not. I'm not speaking for the general public that is buying machinery from you. Uh, in fact, you, you, did you guys see the the drill press? What he did to did for as far as the restoration goes for for mm-hmm. me, he brought it back oh, not to an original press? color. No. He brought it back to a partial original color. The partial original color was like a what would you call it? Like a robin's egg or a teal ish bluish blue sky blue yeah. whatever. But it's, then it was like machine gray over it, yeah. and he, so he revealed the old color, but also left the machine gray coming. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's great. It was. It was as I just started cleaning it. It. Just, what. What are you doing, Tom? Is that. That's not the same thing. I have. I have that <laughs> color. It's an Atlas lathe, or um, Atlas drill press, right above my finger. Oh yeah, I see. No, it. Can see that's it. that's it's blue. That's that's there, like so that's like junk sucks. hunter. That's like junk hunter blue. That's not. Uh, no, no, no. That's that's very tealish. I've seen that drill press. His is more like a turquoise. Yeah, it's more like a turquoise sky blue with a sort of slanting towards teal. Because mm-hmm. um, I had to mix, I had to mix the paint color. Um, I put one of my uh, Walker Turner reproduction Art Deco toggle switches on there for the power, and of course it's 
it's made out of PLA, so it looks nothing like the drill press. So I had to match the color, and it was super tricky. It's a very, very difficult tone to match. Uh, I, I don't even know. Like, like Bernie was saying, it's very hard to describe it. It's in between teal and like a sky blue turquoise. Interesting. Um, it's it's almost more greenish than it is blue. It's I, I had to mix like six different colors to get that one color. Um, but yeah, I just we went through very a lot of different renditions for that uh, like what Bernie wanted for the drill press. Originally, it was all machine gray, and then he you know we went back and forth, and he's like just clean it up, and so I just cleaned it, and that's what happened. Like all the paint just started to just come off in chunks. And it made this sort of like what I call battle-scarred spaceship paint job. <laughs> it looks like it's been running through outer space, getting like hit with space debris, and <laughs> and it looks really cool. Like the it's very it's very even as far as like the distribution of the original paint to the the overpaint, um, and it looks like a style. Like it looks like it was done on purpose. I should take some photo, some beauty shots of that, and. Uh just, just post some stills on Instagram because it's, yeah. it's just so nice. It's so nice looking. Um, I still don't have a place for it on my bench. It's on a bench, but it's not set up where it's going to be permanently yet. So, but that's why I haven't posted anything. But I think maybe I should anyway, just because you're, you're making me want to go out there and just look at it right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, the the drill press is the is a great example for what you're talking about losing space when you're losing space on the lathe. So. The reason, so you have a benchtop model, which is great for doing small things. But as soon as you add um, either a rotary table or a drill, uh, drill vise on there, it automatically starts shrinking the space of what you have room to drill because you need to put whatever you want to drill in there and you have to have room for the drill bit. So that's the same thing with the lathe. The more you put on the lathe, everything shrinks. So that's why I have, uh, that was the reason that I got my very first uh, floor model drill press was because I kept, I have on my drill press, I have a rotary table and I have an angled um, drill press, like a machinist vise. And so those two things take up, I want to say probably like eight or nine inches on the table, like height wise. Mm -hmm. So like that, totally would kill a benchtop drill press there's just you you can't put hardly anything on it at that point mm -hmm. so it's the same thing like I, i'm guessing like the more lathe work you're gonna do the more like that four foot bed is gonna get used and the other one is gonna probably end up being sold because you just it's gonna fall out of your your workflow it, it could be i just this last project i just finished these little brass fittings were a half an inch long you know, they were these little teeny parts. So I, that's what I was thinking, though, as you were talking about organizing shop and, you know, not having too much clutter and things like that around it, having too many machines and stuff. I think maybe I'll just leave some of the things set up for small parts on the little machine. And then we just built this, uh, uh, well, didn't build it. We refurbished a go-kart for that mm -hmm. uh, go-kart event that uh, Jimmy had in upstate New York. And as my son and I, he says, well, next year, are we talking about next year? You know, what do you want to do? Build a go-kart from scratch. Well, the one thing is, is it's got a rear axle and the rear axle is uh, not quite three feet. It's probably 30 inches, 28 or 30 inch um, rear axle. And so, yeah, looking at like, oh, how do I, you know, how would I, 
how would I turn that if I, we want to make an axle from scratch? You know, both ends have to be threaded. So we'd have to be doing single point threading, you know, on each end of that. And Do the you size have of it. A through hole on your head stuff? Yeah, but it's so small. I'm mm. not sure. I think that that axle is three quarters of an inch, and I think the through hole is three quarters. Gotcha. It might be uh. seven. It might be seven eighths. But the neat thing is, is that 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 lathe, um, the new one came with a South Bend, an original South Bend uh, steady rest, cool. which is beautiful in That's itself cool. um, because it's not like a slider steady rest where the little pieces slide back and forth, um, which mm -hmm. you normally would see or you can buy. These are actually look like micrometer knobs. It's got three knobs that turn, and there's these brass pieces that, that come in and out. It does not have bearings on it. It just has, they would be solid bearings, you know, just brass bearings. Just has the brass, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I have to, I'm going to restore that too. Um, the, the coloration of it's a little different than the lathe, so I may actually paint that one. Cool. I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet with that, but because it has the steady rest, I could just, you know, maybe work it in full length. I don't know, it depends. Or at least something. I may do something just for fun, just to see you know, what I can do with that. But that also would involve making sure that my, um, that the bed was leveled, leveled to itself. So there was no, you know, tapers going on with that. Because that bed's so long, you know, four and a half feet, there could be a twist in it. Because I'm just mounting it to a workbench because it's a benchtop lathe that doesn't have its own stand. Um, and it's, it's so small that if I bolt it down and I tighten those bolts, there's a good chance that I'm going to twist that bed slightly. So when I do get that, I, I don't have it finally finalized on the bench yet. So when I do that, that's going to be another thing I'm going to learn. That's going to be a new skill right there is leveling that that lathe. So um, you respond, which I'm supposed to have a precision machinist's uh, level for that, which I may have to borrow or rent one. I don't think anybody loans their tools, they're, they're though, not, especially when they're like I mean, eh. it probably isn't the nicest you'll get, but like Little Machine Shop <clears throat> sells a, a precision level. Oh, yeah? Okay. Level we'll look that at you it. can you can get or you can you can find some imported ones that aren't terribly expensive and i mean you calibrate it you flip it end to end and you adjust the calibration knob and so it's not like they're out of calibration because you calibrate it yourself oh um, yeah yeah so yeah good point as long good as point. it's pretty sturdy and pretty well calibrated mm -hmm. or you know and then you go through that process um for for my shop that's all I use, and it wasn't horrendously expensive. Well, that sounds good. I guess the idea, the general approach to that, that for the lathe, um, would be just like uh, the reason I didn't buy a trenching machine when I dug a trench in my yard. I, it's like, I'm going to use it one time, probably, you know, and then maybe again in whenever, you know. Right. Well, I've used, I use it on my I mill and on my lathe, and you know, and it yeah. wasn't so expensive. It was worth having around. Yeah, well, it's a, I need a reason to buy tools, so I'll just say, uh, you know, um, that you you said it was okay to buy one. That's right. So. Tanda said it's I have okay. authorization. Feel, yeah, feel free to use me as an excuse. <laughs> hey, Bernie, how big are the posts on that steady rest? The the adjusters that come down. How how thick? What's the diameter on that? Do you think? Uh, they are probably they're bigger than half, so they're probably five eighths diameter brass round rod. Oh. That's that's a perfect size. So here's your next project. You can make yourself a little upgrade, and uh, drill and tap some threaded holes, and then make some um, bearing inserts that you could just thread on, and then you could make it into a ball bearing steady rest. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I could because I I, I couldn't remake those um, the brass posts. 
I wouldn't be able to remake them because they're actually threaded inside with left-handed threads. Mm. And they're and they're a really weird um, uh, pitch. They're really strange because they screw twice. Like when you turn that micrometer knob, it threads itself onto this other tube. And then as you're threading it uh, clockwise, it's unthreading the brass part that goes that then extends out with yeah. a screw that's on the inside of the brass. So there's actually two threads you're turning as you're turning those mm -hmm. knobs. And I looked at that but and it, went, I wouldn't be able to redo those. As long as what you're turning, though, <clears throat> is um, not going to be damaged by the by the brass. I mean, you, then you don't have to deal with any run out of the bearings. It's more accurate. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I guess that kind of makes sense. Well, I mean, if you make the mm -hmm. one with bearings, then you have, you know, some inaccuracies in the bearings. What, yeah. Maybe, maybe right. that's an unmatter or you compress yeah. them you know you load the bearings enough that you don't have to worry about it by squeezing them in but i think that's the thinking of a steady rest that doesn't have um mechanical turning bits in it mm -hmm. yeah that kind of makes sense i think i'm in my my training as a machinist i'm at that weird point now where i think i have to have everything right on that there are no tolerances <laughs> i don't know if that's actually a thing it feels like it's a thing you know, because I was mentioning, well, I, think that's, I, did, I think everybody tries to make it right on. Uh, and then yeah, the, the tolerance is, is <clears throat> your forgiveness for, for not being able to quite hit it. I, yeah, I'm well, with it, you, Bernie. I'm with yeah, you, Bernie. I tolerate Tom parts. and Tanda every week. So I'm, I understand. <laughs> this so, PJ, this podcast is PJ plus or minus two. Oh, so <laughs> exactly. Tom or, I, Tom or I may or may not be necessary. Yeah, right. Something I was like looking that. at Tom, Tom. How are you doing with your um, humidity there? I thought maybe you could use that humidity oh, detector brutal. that uh, PJ was talking about. Do you need <laughs> yeah. Do you need to know no, your humidity right it. now? No, no, I can certainly detect it. Yeah, I think it's 115 um, percent. I'm not sure. It's super saturated. That's my point. <laughs> <clears throat> it's disgusting here. The rain did finally stop, though, and uh, the thunderous rain. Good. But it is, it's very, it's damp here. Let's just put it that way. It's moist. It's very moist. <laughs> moist. Yeah, I was avoiding moist. <laughs> All right, Bernie, is there anything else you wanted to share about your, your lathing history? No, I don't think so. Other than the fact that you made me remember that it's been more years that I've been d learning this than uh, than I thought it was. So it's 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 been a while. It's at that point now. You guys, everybody here probably understands the feeling of um, uh, getting a new tool or working on a new skill. That when you just have a thing that you need to do, like you're gonna go like like with that go kart. There's one of the in my Instagram posts of me making. A little bushing for the front spindle and it's nice no matter what the skill is or what the the machine is or whatever it is that you can just go oh i need this thing and then you just go and do it you don't have to go oh wait i need to know how to use this even if it's a software application you know that pain you, you it's like oh, all i want to do is convert this weird quicktime mm -hmm. audio file into a dot mp3 because somebody <laughs> insists on it and now I got to go figure out how to go do that. You know, whereas if I was this audio professional, I could go, oh, 
I just go do this and it's done. Then that person's not nagging me because I've got the wrong format or something like that. So he's talking about or, me. He's talking about me. Know. That's so, it. Yeah. I'm the. But nagger. yeah, so you you know what I mean though. Like if you're just going to go do something, you can just go do it and not have to think about the, you know, like how you're going to go use that machine or how that you've got that skill. You know, that's uh, it's just something. You know, like making toast. You know, something like that. That's that's the desire for all of us, Bernie. We all want to be able to just do the thing we want to do at any given time. That's the goal. Is is yeah. if Tom wants to freeze dry a tomato, he wants to just be able to walk outside, grab a tomato, and throw it in the freeze dryer, and you know that's 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 what he wants. So it'll happen someday. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but moving right <laughs> along, uh, Tanda, did you have anything to add for your personal history from that's different from the last show? Um, no, I'll keep it. I'll keep it short. My lathe history is uh, kind of kind of the opposite of many maker lathe histories, I suppose. In that, a lot of people collect real old vintage machines, or they restore them, or they use kind of the um, you know the known brands. And my first lathe was a Smithy three in one, which is you know at the time it was like the back of Popular Mechanics, and Smithy's still around. They're still making you know, machine tools, but they're inexpensive machine tools. And so my first lathe was the Smithy 3-in-1, which is a lathe and a mill and a drill press all built into one machine. Um, not terribly good at any any of the above. Um, <laughs> That's I, funny that they also label it a drill press. Like if it's a like, mill, it's like a drill any press, mill. Right? Yeah, that's what I, when I was teaching but the mill like, class that's like, at oh, the makerspace, I was TV. like, this is a wonderful yeah. drill press. Yeah, this is the best drill press you'll yeah. ever find. That's like if they advertise a TV VCR and it's a VCR tape rewinder. <laughs> right. Like, Rewinding. Like, built no in. kidding. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Three in one. Exactly. And then I, I ended up selling that to buy um, production equipment for my electronics programming stuff. Um more I sold it more to free up the space in my overcrowded shop at the time and to clean things up because I was doing a lot more clean electronic stuff than I was machining and then I really regretted not having a machine tool around and so uh, eventually I just bought one of the little um, 7x14 mini lathes and changed you know got it kind of tuned up and changed out the um, tool holder for a quick change tool holder and made the mods to it to make it kind of kind of a nice version of a little 17 by or 7 by 14 and uh, and the lathe I have now is a Taiwanese import that look there are a lot of them that look the same that are sold this one was sold by MSC but there are a lot of them that are very similar and it's a 13 by 40 MSC lathe and they're I think Enco and a whole bunch of others that that sell lathes that with the exception of how the knobs look or the coloration are almost identical and it's a good little lathe that's what I I mean it's my day-to-day turning tool all right I like it Tom you got anything you want to add uh yeah we also have a lot more listeners than we did the last time but April 3rd, 2018, I picked up my first lathe for free from my father's job. 
And Jimmy DeResta met me there because he also got a free tool, which is his Surface Grinder. And um, <clears throat> I looked back in my, in my Instagram history, and I just want to encourage everybody that it's okay to buy a tool that you don't know how to use and uh, takes you a while to even use it for the first time because on May 6th, 2019, one year later, <laughs> I turned my first thing, and it wasn't even a thing, I just turned something. And then even then, it wasn't until February of the, the year after that, so we're talking at least a year and a half now, I actually started making, like digging into the lathe and actually using it, and I, that's when I did all my renditions of Jimmy's ice pick. I thought that was an appropriate crossover. Um, I did the nesting ice picks. I'm sure I've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. um, there's three ice picks inside of one ice pick. So the main ice pick, another ice pick, and then a tiny ice pick inside that ice pick, and all the backs screw off. And looking back at that now, <clears throat> it was actually really impressive that I pulled that off. Uh, that tiny thread with that thin wall was really, really challenging. Um, and then I also made like a hammerhead for it that screws on. I also made the cap, um, basically a tripod screw mount on the back of it with a cap that lines up perfectly and it basically blends away. Um, but that's basically my history. And then since then I've made some parts and I've bought and sold like half a dozen lathes at least um, because I, I learned about them. So go buy one. If you spend, here's my tip. If you spend 500 bucks and all the bits and pieces are kind of there and all the bits and pieces move, you're not going to, you're, you're not going to get messed over. You'll be all right. So go try and find one for 500 bucks. That's the bargain price. 500. Uh, yep. As for me, my metal lathe experience is I bought one in, what was it? November, November or December. I don't remember last year. And then I immediately drove it to Jimmy DeResta's <laughs> because he wanted one. He's like, find me a South Bend. I'm like, all right, man, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And it was uh, it was over the mountain from my house. It was like five minutes away. Just some guy sold his dad's house and it was his father's. And he was like 80 himself. So, you know, but that's it. I mean, that's, I, I barely knew what to even check when I was looking at it. I called Tom and Tanda, I think both. And I'm like, what am I looking at here? What am I supposed to be touching? Tell me the things. And, you know, <laughs> I, I managed to get it out of there without hurting myself. Um, and it, it made it to Jimmy's without breaking. And it, had, it came with a, a bunch of stuff. So he was thrilled. I think that's like his sixth South Bend. Um, and I think it was, I think it was a South Bend 9A. I think. I think that was right. Yeah, it was. Um, it had the quick. He's got a couple of those. Yeah. So anyway, that's it. That's that's the sum total of my experience. I've 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 got way more experience with wood lathes, which we won't talk about. Um, and I'm constantly just picking up any kind of machining parts, like end mills and things like that. And I pick up lathe parts, and you know, that's I will own a lathe someday when I move, when there's space for one. There's there's no space. I, I would not, think I that would, that. I would think that that would be a skill that you could really utilize with your restorations. Making yes. making parts. How many bushings he could use? Oh my gosh, yeah. For sure. 100%. Yes, I could definitely use a lathe and a mill. Both. Probably several. Um, so they will come when the, when, you know, when the time is right. 
especially if I get the monarch like I want. Those those things are they're massive. They're there's they're not small like the South Bend. So you, you they take up a footprint. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Someday. I don't think they make a small one. And yeah, the the South Bends. Probably why they're so popular is because they. I think mine was referred to as the work a workshop lathe because they made another simpler version that was called the Junior something or other. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, because uh, these that it's amazing that this machine is like an industrial machine that you could buy for your home shop, but. It wasn't just for home shops. They were using them in auto auto repair uh, shops and uh, in industri- industrial in uh, production facilities because they were so small, but they were so capable. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing about lathes um, that I that I've learned is that um, they are way more capable. The size of the lathe is way more capable than most people that aren't educated in lathes. <clears throat> would think that what you can do like you say also oh, nine inch you know compared to like a 12 or 13 or 14 inch swing uh, you know turning something that's nine inch diameter you know you're talking like a you know a brake well, roller for your that's car usually you know a radius like, too that's usually the throw <clears throat> over the bed so you're really looking at like 18 inches right no this is no this is nine this is nine diameter yeah the nines are at least nine di- they're nine diameters it's actually oh, nine and an eight. I thought most lathes did uh, did radius by length. Well, some might. I think it's just how they modeled it. I think that's just how they named their model. Right. Yeah, but another beautiful uh, brand, uh, PJ, that I don't know if you're familiar with is, is um, Hardinge. Hardinge yeah. is uh, really gorgeous machines. As far as the lines go and how how they're designed, and. Uh, as far as the capabilities go, I, I think that, you know, I, I'm familiar with Monarch as well, but the Hardinge is really considered to be a, like a, you know, a, a Cadillac or a Mercedes of the, of, of lathes. I've run into a few of those, but most of the ones I've seen are kind of newer and boxy. And so oh, I haven't seen yeah. the sexy Hardinge. All I've seen is the ones that kind of, I guess, on the, the newer ones where it was sort of like the, the all the thrill was gone. You know yeah, what I mean? We, like it's they worked, but even the the new South Bends are boxy. They're 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 just they're just right. what it it's what a lathe is supposed yeah. to look like now, apparently, which is just these nah, boxy right. you know, nah. which is like where did it all that. go? Yeah, where did all the where did all the smooth, <laughs> sweet lines go to, you know? No. That's, well, because it's, it's made out of it's made out of sheet metal. You know, the housings are sheet metal instead of cast. Yeah. And if you're gonna cast something, you might as well make it exactly what you want instead of a box, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so you know, you look at some of these things. Like my my Bridgeport is, uh, you know, it's cast, but it's been, you know, they bondo the whole thing. You paint the thing in bondo and then sand it down, right? So it smooths everything out. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about my my South Bends is that the castings have been smoothed somehow. There's no bondo on them, so they must have somehow worked the surfaces to get them to be smooth. Like they must have actually sanded the castings themselves, which is just like, oh my gosh, can you imagine the work? And they're not flat surfaces; they're all round, you know. So you know, it'd be, maybe it's just the size. Be cool if you could get one where it actually has the chunks missing out of the casting, and remove all the bondo, and then totally redo the entire thing, but leave all the chunks. And just put like gold paint in there, and then paint it whatever color you want on the surface. Like you could do them like machine gray or blue or whatever you want. But all the all the all the 
the defects are all highlighted in gold. Like, look, we're still yeah. pretty. That would be that would be kind of nice. I I do like the defect. In fact, my the old um, uh, the nineteen thirty six that I have. Uh, I don't know where it was. St- I don't know the history of it, but um, the hand wheels are supposed to be shiny. They're they're supposed to be a just polished steel hand yeah. wheels. Which in the nineteen forty seven, when I cleaned them up, they just they just became shiny because I just cleaned them and they just got shiny. The nineteen thirty six. Um, I, I started working them to kind of clean them up and I, I kept cleaning them and they just didn't quite, they weren't getting there. And then I, I kind of wiped them down and I realized it's more like the old um, flintlock uh, muskets and that where they would use it, they would call it browning where it was a, it was actually an oxidation layer. They would oil it then. And it mm. was, it was rust, but it was rust as a preventative uh, protective layer yeah. of rust and so I left the hand wheels. Um, they're super smooth. They're actually glossy, but they're brown because well, they're always oil. You know, that's there's cool. always oil on them. And I just figured, you know, the whole machine, even the gray paint that's left on it, is so um, patinaed with oil that it's this brownish gray paint. You could never really match it again. If I painted it machine gray, it would look just. It would just be too bright. You know, so the things either either brown browning browned oxidized surface or it's a browned machine gray paint that's stained and it just you know but the whole machine I, I keep it really clean you know it's all clean to wipe down and and you know the maintenance with these machines if you read the book it just says to just wipe the whole machine down with oil it's supposed to be just covered in oil like all the time it's like yeah that's just yeah. how you maintain them you know yeah it's like be, they're, they're be rusted careful just if, oil. You're, if you're out there um looking if you if you get a book um by by south bent um, and it tells you, and it tells you to just put water on your lathe, just to scrub it down with soap and water, and then and then leave it wet. Um, yeah, look look for that title. It's called "How to Ruin a Lathe" um, by South Bent. So <laughs> How to ruin subtle a lathe. Difference. Subtle difference, but you don't want to get you don't want to get that book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those it. knockoffs are they're definitely not helpful. What's neat about it is because with the uh, machining to- machine tools like that, they you can just leave things covered in oil and, and it's all fine. Like with if we're talking about you know any woodworkers out there listening right now, it's to be like, oh my god, I can't. no, you can't have your your machine all full of oil. I mean that's just not gonna that's not gonna work, you know. So um, as far as keeping you know a lot of woodworkers will wax or they'll do some sort of what's what's the treatment uh, Tanda? There's a chemical right that I know Blondie Hacks had said forget what it is there's a brand name it's, it's kind of like a wax and an oil together that you put on your machines to protect them hmm. or i forget what I'm it not, was she I'm had recommended i mean there are kind of, of modern day versions of cosmoline that you can spray on that work, yeah but that's yeah. a little heavier i think yeah. than what you would be using every day so for wood for woodworkers you know there's a that's a little bit of a dilemma like how do i keep my machines from rusting without getting stuff all over my woodwork as i'm doing it you know so it's a little bit of a tough thing whereas with a machinist you can just cover everything in oil <laughs> right i just cover everything in tape that's a, tape that tape tape's good yeah. tape works tape tape works tape works all right we're going to go to commercial Sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hey, y'all, this is Cook.
cousin Harvey. Are you a machinist and you got a lathe and you, you cut stuff, you know, you, you do some metal turning? Well, them hot chips get all over you. They burn real bad, don't they? Oh, I know you don't like it. Well, we don't like it either. Well, here at Johnson's, we got just the thing for you. Introducing Johnson's Wrist Turbine. That's right. It's one size fits all. Creates an invisible sleeve of air that cools your arm and blows them chips straight off before they even make contact with your skin. It's not for use with semi-precious metals, and it requires 27 button cell batteries that are non-rechargeable. It may cause tarpal tunnel syndrome, and it's only 6243. You can find it in our fan aisle. You can reach us at patreon.com forward slash maker skills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. Alright, it is time for crossbreeding. Bernie, what skill goes best with metal turning? Milling. Milling. Ooh, good answer. Good answer. That was the easy one, but good answer. Yeah, it was yeah, easy. That, that, that's, that's definitely yeah. true. Yeah. He, he, he kind of yeah. suckered us on that on the first go. Tom? Yeah, I don't have, <laughs> I, I don't have an answer now. I mean, I was going to say milling. Oh. No, trigonometry. Trigonometrying Trig is a very good skill with the lathe. You want an example? Yes. Yeah, so if you slide your compound to right around 30 degrees and you advance your compound in, it's now advancing at half the rate. So every thousandth mark is actually a half a thousandth. <clears throat> and you can get more accurate with that on, on any lathe. I'm going to pretend I'm smart enough to know that that's true. Tanda, what mm -hmm. skill goes well with metal turning? Um, I'm going to say, having not heard any of the others, uh, micrometering. Ooh. Is, is, is that like... That's a good answer. That's, does, does that have something to do with a microphone? No, it has yeah. something to do with a micrometer. Oh, I was wrong. Oh, that's a decrepit microphone after they break? Yeah. Yeah, you can you can actually tell the exact dimension by just listening very closely to the to the piece being turned with a good <laughs> microphone. It's like sonar. Yeah, it kind of has this Bernoulli effect. So the uh, the you know the surface of it is turning at a particular speed, and it entrains air as it pulls it by. Um, so the air pressure is slightly lower right on the surface of the material. And that's going to oh, be birds. proportional to the diameter. So if your lathe is running at, say, 500 RPM and you have a 1-inch piece, it's going to be at a little different surface speed than if it's 1.007. You know, so that those 7 tenths is going to make the surface speed slightly different. So you have to listen close, but but you can tell. That that sounds skill. sounds accurate to me. Uh, yeah. Tom, Tom, mm. you, you, you want to weigh in? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that checks out. Uh, sidebar, PJ. Yeah. Hey, buddy. I don't think I've ever called a sidebar with you in uh, two in uh, almost a hundred episodes. Is that about right? It's something like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, Tando's full of, <laughs> and I think we're just gonna let her get away with it. I think it'll be fine. She used. I think a, it'll be fine. A lot of big words. I didn't recognize I think a lot of I, them. Well, she's talking about the Bernoulli effect, which I think she's mocking me because I've been talking about it a lot in the last like couple weeks with my fan situation and stuff like that. It's just a very cool thing. Look up Bernoulli effect. But um, 
but yeah, let's just get back and 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 just tell her great great suggestion. Uh, I, I okay. I mean, look, I I'm very familiar with cannolis. I mean, I'm Sicilian. The cannoli effect is is I don't know what <laughs> no, she's talking about very, though. It's very different. It's very different than the cannoli effect. Oh, it's not it's not the yeah. same. Uh, okay. Yeah, cannoli effect is more of a food coma than a than an actual physics thing. Right. Yeah, the cream filling is is very good. Yeah. Especially with the hey, chocolate PJ, chips. Hey, PJ, I just I. I, before we go, I just want to say I really enjoyed the sidebar. Maybe I should call more with you in the future. Absolutely, buddy. That's, that's, yeah, let's do it. Thanks for ha- thanks for having me. Sure thing. Oh, it looks like Tanda's Tanda's done reading her doctorate. Tan- Tanda, um, that that yeah. was an amazing answer. Um, yep. Thank, yeah. thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you for thank sharing you. with yeah. us. Just just be sure to measure the temperature and humidity before because that will have an effect. So you got to calibrate to that. Oh, cl- yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, well, as for me, um, I was thinking long and hard about what skill would go well with uh, with metal turning, and I'm going to go with hoarding. Yeah, with I think what? Uh, hoard, hoarding. Hoarding. Yeah. Hoarding. Yeah. yeah. Little, hoarding. little bits of round stock. Good thing to hoard. Hoarding. If you're do just, some metal that's turning. true. Just hoarding metal in general doesn't even have to be round stock. Yeah. Any 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 size or shape. Just finding metal on the ground. Just pick it up. Take it with you. You know. I mean. I think you you've got to have stuff to turn, and I don't know if you guys have noticed, but stuff's getting expensive, you know. So very, yeah. Hoarding is the way to go. That's <laughs> uh, that's my skill. And now it's time for give me your best guest. Yeah. All right, Bernie. We know that uh, we know your number one skill, but give me your best guess. We want your top five, so we're gonna slide on down from number one to number two. What is your second best skill? I'm gonna go with um, CAD, computer okay. design. Yes. Tell us, tell us more about that. About about CAD. Yeah. Well, like, that's how, a how skill. You... It's, it's something that I did um, professionally for a little while. And now uh, it's slid over into my maker activities, which I was—I guess I considered myself a maker anyway with my my past career, um, doing automotive automotive CAD renderings was what I did. So I kind of had to learn some CAD to do that, and uh, and then I started uh, learning that I could. Do, I was working on other other people's stuff because I was doing it for my job, but I just uh, started to enjoy. Um, doing some things and the first reason that I had to do it was 3D printing and that would have been back in 2010 when I got my first 3D printer so oh, I was able 20 to 10 was to, that was a maker wow. a MakerBot Thingomatic look it up mm-hmm. wow. modern history anyway you carry on the subway with you <clears throat> well yeah, yeah that was one of their claims I, to fame it was I still have you could just grab it and take it to the maker space with you yeah, they were really neat. That it was the uh, the the cupcake was the predecessor to that one. If you guys remember, mm-hmm. you look up a MakerBot cupcake. Um, then they came up with the Thingomatic. MakerBot did so anyway. Um, so that gave me a reason to because when I was doing work uh, CAD work at my day job, uh, we were outputting three two uh, D renderings of the three D objects, and so I really wanted to out, somehow output my three D. Uh, virtual 3D objects into actual 3D space. So that was the first way to do it, was to do 3D printing. So that was why. And now I, I basically will CAD almost anything. 
other than little simple parts, I don't. But, um, you know, it's just, it's one of those things, like talking about those skills where you can just go pick up the CAD and like, I need to, get, you know, do a drawing of whatever it is uh, and just jump in and just do it. And then, you know, do the, print out the dimensional drawings and go out in the shop and make it. I, I find once you get pretty handy at it, 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 to me at least, it's much quicker to 3D model something. Granted, you have to make the and dimension the sketches, but it's just as quick to 3D model something, only putting in the dimensions that drive the 3D model, and then have the CAD system generate really nice 2D drawings and then just drag and drop dimensions everywhere that you need them. I, I would much rather go in that direction than draw you know, then look at a detailed 2D drawing and and make it 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I, I've been printing out. Um, in fact, I use uh, Rhino, Rhinoceros, uh, for my for CAD, but then for my drawings, I do use Fusion 360 for the draw. I really like the drawing module in Fusion. Oh, interesting. Um, so you use Rhino, you use Rhino to model it, then you bring it in as a step file or something, and yeah. then use Fusion, mm-hmm. and then use Fusion to turn that into a 2d drawing dimension drawing yeah yeah because it's so nice like you said to just click on something and say well i need to know what this dimension is or whatever even from a center line it's nice to just say and and the other thing is is uh going and i'm the machinist but i'm also the designer you know so you know that you know what i'm talking about so Mm -hmm. when you're like i don't need that dimension so i'm not going to put it on the drawing or i do need a dimension for this so i'm going to put some weird dimension on there because i'm going to need that when i put it on the bridge port and find my center line and then i'm going to need all these whereas i probably wouldn't put that on a drawing for somebody else so it's just kind of nice to just you know kind of you know customize those things and if there's something with a weird tolerance you know i i just wouldn't either add it or not or just even draw write it on with a pen afterwards yeah, right. Bernie. PJ? Yes. Bernie, I got I got to ask you before we get too far <laughs> off track here. Is is a weird dimension similar to an alternate dimension, or are those th- not not the same? A weird dimension. Yeah, because no, it sounds no, like a, an alternate it could be an, is in reference to something else. A weird dimension is only in reference to itself. Well, it could be a weird alternate dimension. Now, are you answering my question? Hmm. Am I answering your question? I don't know. I could be. Does that sound like a weird <laughs> Is alternate? Is that a roundabout way of telling me I was wrong with my si- answer? Sidebar, sidebar, Tom. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. It, it, we're in a sidebar, but I'm pretty sure that PJ and Bernie are in some kind of weird alternate dimension right now. Yeah. Where yep. they both think the other one is asking a question of the other one and at the same time answering the question. Uh, it's it's entertaining. It's we, like, should, we should get back to them. I think me. they're still going. All right, sure. It is an alternate weird dimension, Bernie. You're right. I, I was wrong. Yeah. Oh, just put the fire right out. Oh, <laughs> well, I agree with you. That's well. There's fire now. <laughs> the, I missed something. Oh okay. no. Well, fire if, in if it was dimensions, is perfectly. Safe. How dare you was, agree with hot, me? It was if it was hot. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. That's that's my bad. But um, but yeah, Tom. If it if it was hot, if it was a hot dimension, it it could be on fire. <laughs> just 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 for for funsies. Uh, but moving on, uh, let's get to skill number three. Bernie, hit us. I would say, um, <laughs> uh, well, 
design, but design, I guess design is the D in CAD, isn't it? So I'm not sure. Does that No, no, it's just the computer design is, is, is what it is, it, but design is, can be any number of things. Yeah, well, because right. I, I like to uh, I like to solve problems. I'm not an engineer. I play one on Instagram, but uh, so as far as figuring those things out, I tend to like figure them out more of a design thing, and then just kind of figure out the mechanics of it afterwards. And it everything needs to look nice. So the design. Uh, the other thing is too that was part of when I I went to school when I went to art school. My commercial um, program that I was in, I also uh, studied graphic design. So. As far as designing logos, you know, typical graphic design type stuff like that. So I really enjoy doing you that. You have so. like the ultimate, that's like the ultimate maker background. Thank you. I, I think that. Gra well, graphic design and CAD and then, and then you have a career and then you, and then you just become a maker and don't make any money. And because that's where <laughs> we're all at. <laughs> but like, that's like, I'm always jealous of like, um, like Bob or, or, um, um, Oh gosh! Well, all three of them on making any, it, right? Any They've one all of a hundred like an art people. background. Yeah. Well, right. they, yeah, David, exactly. they, they all all three of those guys on that podcast went to art school. Right. They all, right. each one of them I just, did. So, in fact, um, uh, David actually worked as a graphic designer, like in an agency, and well, well, and Jimmy yeah. taught design for twenty some years, right? Right. In New York, and exactly. Bob did. Uh, I don't remember if he actually did a job in design or not. I think he went into software right away. Yeah, software. Right, but he was designing software also, not in different creative outlet, right? But yeah, I just I feel like I I wish I knew that art school wasn't just for artists, right? Like, and not to define artists, but I wish I knew way way long ago that. You can go and learn those things and then apply them so many different ways right. that have nothing to do with art necessarily. Well, you know, that world, that that label that I'm... That's I'm exactly, using. I was just going to say, it's a, it's a label because I was fortunate enough yes. that the school in Detroit that I went to, they're the biggest major at the College for Creative Studies in Detroit is automotive uh, styling. It's the automotive design. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what that school is for. I mean, General Motors and Ford and Chrysler... Because uh, those are, you know, Detroit, they call them the, the big three automotive, domestic automotive companies. They go there to handpick uh, auto car designers, you know, to go I, do that. So mm -hmm. those people are going to art school, but they're going to art school to then be recruited by some of the biggest corporations, you know, in the world to do, go right. to work every day and make art, basically. If you want to call that designing cars, I mean, that's being an artist. Um, you know, and doing that. And then the program I was in was in was was commercial art, which was in my major was illustration and photography. So those were both get out of school and and get a get a real job doing those things. Not not I'm going to go out and I'm right. going to make art and hope somebody buys it. I wasn't making art until right. somebody gave me a purchase order. You know, I mean, like literally like I you know, it's a day. It's a job. You go and do it. And so yeah. many um, schools, you know, and can when kids are in high school. They don't realize that they, or they don't even, you know, tell the kids that there is such a job, you know, to go out there and, and do that. Even right. if it's, even if it's a, a, a graphic designer, which would be a designer that would, you know, they could work at a newspaper, they could work at a magazine, they could do um, designing um, brochures, books, you know. And same thing with, uh, with music. Um, there were I, <clears throat> I remember there was one parent. I was sitting in a conversation with this parent that the daughter was a musician. She was in the band. She was in the marching band in high school. And uh, she wanted to be a 
write music. And the parents were like, well, yeah, but you need a real job. You know, and, and the yeah. thing is, is like I worked in the ad business and they were, they were jingle writers, people that would go to work every day and write music. You know, it, it is a job. Right. Right. So, but, but your point was, I wish somebody would have told me that, you know, when I was that age and yeah. it's, it's still not happening. So I just, I just found it out, you know, <clears throat> right. with my kids. A hundred percent. Well, you know what? I, I was thinking about this recently, like the jobs that you did know about at that age, teens, whatever, you look at them and you're like, oh no, adults do that. And you just don't even make the connection that they used to be 20 and they had to go to school yeah. too. And they had to like, it's just, there's such a disconnect because you're such an idiot in your teens. Like you, like you don't think that at the time for sure, but <laughs> you're like, you just can't see past your own little tiny bubble. And, um, and it really takes a great, a great adult in your life to open your eyes to a lot of that stuff. And I'm not saying I didn't have those people, but, um, in this category, I definitely missed out on some of that insight. But you're a parent, right? Yeah. So you can you can yes. put that to work for your your own family. Yeah, I I talk about this kind of stuff to a lot of people. Um, I told a kid that is, you know, he's got some artistic ability, and I go I go listen, you don't have to grow up and be an artist that doesn't make any money, like. And I grabbed the brown rice box that was on their kitchen counter. And I was like, someone designed this brown rice box. And it's super boring, but someone created the artwork Not for this box. Not to the person box. who designed it and the person who paid <laughs> them. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But, like, <clears throat> so, like, that's a job. And, like, that's, like, someone needs to do that. And someone, there's an artist behind that. Um, yeah, it's not some painting in a museum somewhere, but like like we've already said, that's not what it is. That's not what it's about. But there's a day job on, uh, that might be doing that, designing that, that rice box, but that person can go home and still do their own artwork that they want to do on their own if they want to do that. And the same thing with a music writer. The person can go to work and write music jingles for some dumb product, but then go home and write their yep. own music if they want to. But they can make a living doing something yes. that's very closely related to things that they like to do versus going to a day and job that's completely different, you know, and, and like they just right. they hate and it. And they're still you know, developing so. in, that, in that vein. Yeah. They're developing their skills. Even though they may not mm -hmm. be, you know, lit up by jingles, they're, they're still creating music and they're still doing And, and their networking cool. overlaps too, I found out. The networking will overlap because you mm -hmm. may have a client and it's a client of the company that you work for, but that client might need something that's outside of the range of what your job is. And if there's no conflict of interest, you may end up having a side job for a person or a person that that person knows that you're networking. So you're still, you know, networking we all know is very important. Um, you know, yeah, so you're networking in a very right related there. business. Bernie, you, you might want to go back and listen to the episode uh, where we interview my brother, who's a full-time artist. And uh, just, just to give you like the, the short shot, he went to art school and he came out and he went to work for um, Wegmans at their sign shop. He, just, he would do hand draw all the signs that they had all over the store advertising like different foods and sales and stuff. And then from there, he went to work for a marketing company doing like kind of what you're saying like graphic design stuff he worked there for several years and then he started his own business doing uh live event paintings he went to weddings and he would paint the wedding 
and mm-hmm. he didn't get it done you know like it would it would take him months to actually finish each painting but he would go there and set up and it was kind of like a curiosity but they it started during the wedding and then you know the couple would have it at some point and yeah. he's since been like uh he's gotten burned out on that he's got like i think one or two of those paintings left but he's transitioned again especially with the pandemic and now he's teaching online art courses and he's got a handful i think he's got like 20 students maybe more i think it fluctuates a little but he teaches private classes to students online from his house so he didn't even have to leave and he's so he's done artwork his entire life he's never had like a a, a, well i take it back before he went to art school he did work at a movie theater which was the same thing i did i worked at a movie theater that was in town but other than that he's never had any other job he's been an artist his entire life that's all he's ever done multiple different jobs but all art related and i can't remember who it was i was talking to but it was somebody that was an artist and they were talking about the whole starving artist thing and he's like i don't know what you're talking about all the artists i know make money if you're if you're an artist and you're not making money it's because you don't want to work that's that's basically what it boils down Mm. to something you feel that something is beneath you and you don't want to do it then you're not going to make money but there's there's work out there for artists everywhere. It's just whether or not you want to do the work. So yeah. That's, so that's that, that brings up a question that I've talked to a lot of people about um, when it comes to like uh, what your brother did. Now that's even closer. So my question is, um, would you guys would your opinion be that those that type of work falls into the maker category? <sighs> he's he's making art. So technically, yeah, I guess. Because I, I agree, I agree with that. I with with that because I I've heard some people that kind of separate that when they when they do they do you know a painted artwork or even does graphic design, not considering themselves mm-hmm. to be makers. And I, I I disagree with them whenever I can. I, I say I really would consider that being in the part of the maker community. I mean, it's I, you know when you start to look at everybody's logo on social media and everybody's graphics and their t-shirts and everything that they do I and mean, there's so much graphic design in the maker mm-hmm. community you know for a graphic designer to not consider themselves a maker i just I, like i say yeah, I, I think if you're moving something that was an idea in your head to something that you can hold in your hands then then you're a maker yeah and it doesn't really matter what it is or something right. that you can see or or hear i think then i think that confusion just comes in when something like artist has such a huge community of its own but mm-hmm. so does machinist so does blacksmith so does uh, all of these things it's just they're older groups that more people are aware of for a longer period of time um, but yeah everything's a maker it's kind of the point well, bernie on that same note i mean i've written two novels okay not what you would oh, traditionally no, that, consider that, that doesn't count that doesn't oh so i'm out never mind forget yeah, it. yeah that doesn't count yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's more like a talent you, i think that's you a might talent be a picture. writer but yeah, not, not, not a major. writing. Writing is a. a I mean, talent. if you if you bound the book and made the paper, maybe. Oh, I'm gonna have to I'm wait. Wait, wait I see. Writing. I think that block, I think that smirk printed it or, that or at least is a, printed it on like a Heidelberg press. Then then maybe. Yeah, you got to get the machinery's got to be involved. But I thought I saw that smirk starting to emerge there. I'm not sure. Okay, there we go. I don't know what you're talking about, Bernie. <laughs> 
All right, let's move on. Uh, I think we're on number four. We're on number oh. four. What's skill skill number four, Bernie? Uh, well, what I went to school for originally was um, illustration and photography. I don't know if those are two. Maybe those are two. Illustration, yeah. So illustration. Those are two different I, things. A, two different it's things. A drawing, Pick one, Bernie. Like drawing. I, oh, I think illustration. And I've, lately I've, I've done a few <clears throat> Instagram posts of some of the things that I'm working on machining and things that I didn't do in CAD. Uh, that I would do sketches of, and I showed the sketches of in some of my Instagram uh, posts, and people were very complimentary of my my sketch that I literally did on my on the notepad on my toolbox, you know. So, but there's some illustration skills that I learned, you know, just about how to get an idea down on paper and communicate, because that's the difference between, uh, say, doing a portrait painting sort of a thing versus an, an illustration, because illustrations are more like, um, well, like when you illustrate something, you're illustrating a, an idea, like a, a thought or a commercial, like a thing, right? So it's like, I've got this thing in my head, I need to get it down on paper, not just for myself, but also to communicate, you know, this thing to somebody else. It's not like... So would like, you say it's more like a blueprint? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so illustration. I guess maybe I could kind of bend that a little bit into um, technical drawing. Where, like, I, mm -hmm. when I was in high school in the late seventies, uh, I had drafting class. You know, drafting. We literally had to learn how to do the different, um, you know, elevations of a part. You know, and dimension it by hand and things like that. So that's uh, that. Oh my gosh, that is so valuable. To be able to just, you know, some, you're just describing something. Like you're describing a part that you need, a missing part, right, for a machine or something you're restoring. I need this thing. Well, what is this thing? Here, give me a piece of paper. Let me, let me, let me draw that for you, you know, in three-dimensional view to show you what this part is. It's a, it's a thing you can just do, mm. you know. Um, right. So I think that that's a, that's a great skill that I picked up, like say, back in high school, actually. Um, and then we're kind of refined that through like my training as uh, as an illustrator. So yeah, that's a, that's my skill. Illust illustration. Yeah, drawing drawing with a pencil and T square and and triangles, three view drawings and isometric drawings, and then inking them gives you a a wonderful appreciation of CAD. Well, yeah, and then yes. part of that is that a lot of younger people. I'm not necessarily picking on young people, but. There was never an, an okay, undo. Tom. There was never an undo button or a back backspace button on, on drawing with ink. You know, you put it down in ink, it's done. You know, you're not like, oh, I can just undo that. Well, there's not. You know, it wasn't ever there. So, as far as that level of commitment goes, you know, and I think that 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 really relates to um, when somebody looks at a drawing. If you look at two drawings, you could probably tell which person was more confident when they did their drawing. If it's a sketchy, scratchy looking drawing, it looks a little unsure. Whereas somebody that just put bold strokes down, those bold strokes could be completely wrong, but they look like they're so bold that like, oh, that person must have meant that to be that way. You know, and it could be not even correct. But it's a, so there's a trans, you know, visual translation there, I think. I think so. I All don't right, know. That right, might be getting right, a little Bernie. deep right there, but. I, I got a test for you, Bernie. This, uh -oh. this is a pass fail, pass fail test. Do you still have a set of rapidograph pens? I have. They don't work, but I do. Oh, My favorite on. one is the nope, still counts. the triple aught. He's got them though. The triple aught rapidograph. That was the hardest thing to keep working because it was so fine. I've got uh, I've got nearly a full set. I think I'm missing like one or two. So, that's uh. I did all nice. the artwork for the novel in that. I did 
I did exactly what you said. I drew everything out in pencil, and then I went over and I inked it all, and then I just erased everything. So yeah, that's that's the way to do it. There's for for those of you that are not familiar with rapidograph pens and, and the triple lot like Bernie's talking about, these are they're constant flow ink pens where the tip is the thickness of the line that comes out, and it goes from like hair thickness, like human hair thickness all the way up to like uh let's say like double or triple like a ballpoint pen like a pretty wide uh pretty mm -hmm. wide line um and they're they're german made and they have it's some sort of a a vacuum seal the way they do it it just like it it's a constant stream you never run unless you actually run out of ink like there's no more in the in the pen uh, it is just seamless and they're great they're they're fun to use that's about the best way i could put it it's like once you start using one you're like oh man i wish i knew this was like an option before until your triangle slips over the top of the ink oh uh, well <laughs> or, yeah or the or you use the wrong uh the wrong side of the triangle because usually there was a little relief under oh, the edge yeah, of the triangle right. to keep it from yeah. working and yeah, if you put your so. triangle down the other way then it soaks underneath the triangle and yeah. you're done for pj then, i got a at, pass or fail for you yes go for you it you already gave you already gave yourself a clue that it was a german company what's the name of the german company uh Kananor. no oh ow i don't know we may have to have a judgment on that because <laughs> it's co Koenor. i saw i pronounced it wrong you did me. so <laughs> i i don't know guys well i might have to have a judgment on this one i don't know if he made it he, or he not. didn't he didn't even say what, what? is cool. he didn't phrase it in <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> so i don't i don't know yeah. okay well anyway <clears throat> i i that was K. pretty close when it's a, it's three syllables and you got two out of three so i'll, I'll give it to you it's hyphenated so yeah oh there uh, okay well that even gives you extra credit so yeah it's spelled with a k it's a kn name and um interesting fun fact um, when I bought my first set of pens, I bought them all, all but one, I think, were used. Uh, it came with ink that was bad. It's a special ink that they make. And the ink had separated into two parts. And I emailed the company, and I'm like, I've got your ink, and it's separated, and it's unusable. And they're like, oh, we are so sorry. Uh, sometimes that'll happen if it's stored in, like, extreme temperatures. And I'm like... I, I don't know. I, I, I bought it. It's full. It was unopened when I bought it. And I said, I bought it from somebody and this is how I got it. And they're like, oh, we're so sorry. We'll send you a new bottle. And they sent me three brand new bottles that <laughs> I didn't pay. For. I don't know how much they cost brand new, but these not cheap ink, you know. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, they had solid pigments in them. That's why. Very yeah. fine, solid pigment. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I got the black, and like I was saying, this is like the blackest black ink you can get. It, it looks yeah. like you're. It, it's awesome stuff. Anyway, let's move on to the fifth and final skill for you, Bernie. Okay. Uh, well, I already mentioned it earlier. I was going to say I'll say photography. So imaging right. work. That's right. I did that professionally for for quite a few years. So that's. That's it. So photography, not just photography for fun, photography, uh, technical photography. So um, product photography. Hmm. Okay. Is it was it all like That's car cool. stuff, or did you do multiple products? No, it was pretty much uh, cars. 
Uh, well, the thing, what it started out as is I was doing photography for reference for my illustration. So if I had to do a product illustration, I did, air, it was like a airbrush combined airbrush and hand painted illustration uh, style. And I would have to get the product and I would shoot it. But just shooting, a, if you, it's a bad photo, the illustration is going to be <laughs> If you don't light the pic, like your reference with good lighting and good shaping and stuff, you know, and reflections and things, then you're not going to be able to paint that in the illustration. I mean, you, you could, but why, why bother shooting reference if you're not? So I got to be a better photographer, uh, technical photographer, because I was getting products that would say they'd be a shiny plastic or have some glass parts or things like that on them or metal. Uh, that would need mm -hmm. automotive parts and things like that. And I would have to get them. So I would have to light them and then get reflections on those parts and make them look really pretty, uh, you know, in a producty pretty way. Uh, and then I would just use that photography. Now the backgrounds and stuff could be kind of rough and didn't really matter a whole lot because I was looking for the product, but then uh, I would use those reference photos um, to do my illustrations and I would illustrate those parts like into a group of other parts or something like that, you know, but each one would be shot individually um, you know, which made me have to learn to, you know, make these things look like they were all together, even if I was shooting them separate, stuff like that. So it's a lot of technical, um, things, you know, to learn about that. Um, in fact, I've had several, uh, people over the years when I do my, uh, Instagram posts, they say, well, what kind of lighting do you have in your shop? Because these things look, you know, things look really tasty when a lot of my, my machinist pictures that I post them because I use photographic light boxes when I light my machines. So I get these go. light, I get these soft box uh, reflections. So the light's soft for one thing. So you're not getting hard shadows, but you're also getting this big white shape, you know, which is on a shiny metal parts. I mean, it, that's just how you light stuff. That's how you light a car. You know, if you want it to look sexy, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, you have to have these reflections. So it's not really the light itself. It's, it's what's reflecting in the shinier, the part, you know, like a piece of Chrome, Chrome has nothing. There's nothing to Chrome. Chrome is only the reflections around it. And as things mm -hmm. get darker and get painted or whatever, like a black is almost like a Chrome. But as you get, you know, you get down to something that would be like a, hardest car to make look sexy is a white car, you know, with white glossy paint, it hardly reflects anything because hmm. it's not. And if you turn down the light enough, so you get your harder reflections, the car ends up looking like it's a gray car, not a white car, you know? So it's a, that was always a real technical balance of trying to get those things to look, look like they are supposed to look, but also make them look really nice and, you know, crisp and shiny and, and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, so photography, but in a technical commercial, photography type of way so it was very the inside scoop That's well the, another another thing too that might might be interesting is that when i got into doing the cad i was taking the cad files from the automotive oems and i was rendering photorealistic renders of the cars from the cad files because the car didn't exist yet so we had cad from like the future you know two years in the future car models that weren't in production yet that was the whole point of it is like we can get a picture of a car that doesn't exist yet from the CAD files. So in order for it to look like not just a photograph of a car, it needed to look like a commercial photograph of a car, like a car, like a car photographer would do a picture of a car in commercial photography, product photography, but I'm doing it in 3D rendering software. So I needed to not just make, I guess I said that already, not just make it look like a photo, but make it look like a photo that a photographer lit and put reflections on. And then also the fact 
that what my job for several years was to retouch, do beauty retouching on the car photography to make it even look sexier than it even was when they photographed it to clean everything up and I'll make sure all the door lines were straight. Everything was like really nice and clean. So doing renders that had, you know, looked like photography, looked like commercial photography, but also looked like commercial photography that was retouched already, you know, to make it look nice. So there was a, just a lot of uh, technical stuff in there. So just a lot of just observation, there, I guess. Is there, is there a sense of introducing imperfections? I mean, the CAD file is going to be perfect. And so the render is going to, all of those lines are going to be perfect. I mean, is, do people mm -hmm. detect that? Is that something that you would, you would make slightly imperfect to make it look yeah. more like a realistic photo? Is that exactly. In fact, I just, I, my last post on Instagram was about the fact that I, when I was deburring that little bracket that I just made, I kind of overdid the deburring on the edges of things. So I kind of gave it a little extra roundness on those, on those cut edges. And that's the mm -hmm. thing that CAD files are missing. Everything's got a hard edge on it and it's not real. And all those little, those little edges of little things that are rounded off, you get reflections, you get an extra reflection between two surfaces in CAD, they would just come together at a perfect edge. And in real right. life, mm -hmm. those things are going to have a little roundness to them and not just that they're round, but that little roundness will catch a light. It will catch a reflection, a little line. And those are the things that if you're just layman looking at something, they would just be like, oh, that's nice. But they wouldn't realize what, like, what's wrong between this one that's not, that is perfect and the one that's imperfect. They would like the imperfect one better. So I, right. that your observation was, yeah. Right if, if you're out there making a CAD file to send me to machine, though, do not put fillets and little soft edges <laughs> on everything in the CAD file, please. Leave the CAD file a CAD file like it's supposed to be. So what, what's the notation on there then, Tanda? Is that just ease all edges? What do you like them to write on there on the sidebar? Just, just I, I, ease, I don't care. Ease the edges? Yeah, write, write, write something to... Uh, soften? Yeah, e soften, ease, soften the edges. Deburr. <laughs> deburr. Uh, Deadly, yeah. yeah, all edges deburr harshly. No, put whatever you want to, to indicate that it needs uh, to be done. I but did that to that's my. A, that's a pet peeve of mine. Is people, and not that I do a lot of machining anymore. That's, that somebody gives me a drawing. Um, I usually make the drawing for anything I machine. But what, just because you can in CAD, putting all kinds of little internal fillets and and things because it looks sexy in CAD can drive someone having to machine it insane. You should have seen me talking to myself when I, when I did that, when I, I did a drawing and I did it and I was making it look really nice and I wanted to show it to somebody. So I went ahead and put fillets on all the little edges and stuff and rounded everything off. And it's like, that looks great. Okay, go ahead and machine that. Well, then I took from Rhino and I went in to Fusion 360 to put my dimensions on it. And because it was an imported file, it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, mm -hmm. uh, originally from... Um, Fusion 360. And if it was, I could have probably clicked on those little edges and found them. But because it was an import right. step file, so you lost I, nothing would have clicked. I couldn't click on any yeah. of the corners of anything. And I just, I was just yelling at myself. Like I was another <laughs> person. Like, why? Why did you give me this? So, but uh, because I was doing it myself, though, I was able to make some little guesses and things and I got it done. But I just, I, I, I'm I never doing that again. I myself at work. It's, it's a lot yeah. of fun at my day job. Yeah, I'll I'll just lay into this the person who designed this or whoever came up with this and and it, and especially for newcomers it gets a lot of uh, uh, strange looks in the meeting and then someone lets them know that I'm talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> ¶¶ 
Was that our best guess? I don't know, but it was a guess. All right, it is time for short and sweet. We're at the end of the podcast before we go to the secret segment. Bernie, is there anything that you want to say? Any shout outs, any news, anything at all? Hmm, shout out news or anything at all. Well, I don't know. You're throwing me off here, but I don't want to call. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to pull a Tom on this one. <laughs> uh, Hard pass. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, hmm. I don't know. Let's see somebody. That, well, he can go uh, last. Inspired. I'll go last. I'll go last. But I'm not gonna. I'm not yeah. gonna. Yeah, okay, let me, let me right. think about this. We'll, we'll move on, Bernie. The time you got anything, or was that hard pass real? Oh, I, oh no, I'm uh, I'm not ready. I was gonna go last. <laughs> no, uh, two things. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I was on the Shop Class podcast this past week. That was a lot of fun. It's a podcast with shop teachers, like legit shop teachers. Mr. G's on there, and uh, Nick from Tech. Oh God, Nick, I always screw this up. Tech Ed, Fireman, um, and a couple other guys that I just met, and they're real cool too, but they're all shop teachers, and they're doing really cool shop stuff that we never got when I was a kid, like, well, because of technology mostly, but they're doing, one of them does, um, one of them builds a house with his class, mm. like, every year. It's incredible. Wow. Like, I wish, dang, I wish every, right? I know. Like, actually builds a house. All right. And then the other thing is, while we were talking, I, um, I ordered something from Send, Cut, Send, and I used Design the Everything's discount code, which is Design Everything 15. Not sponsored. Highly recommend Send, Cut, Send, and use uh, AJ's code, Design Everything 15, and you'll get 15% off. That's it. All right. That looks like... I try to use Bernie's. Bernie, do you still have one? I do. We said for Send, Cut, Send? Yeah, it, I, I, it I, is. I looked on your website. I tried to use yours. It is. Uh, so that is... Uh, Solo saves 20. It, it, it doesn't? They probably... They, no. they probably. I need to renew it then. Yeah, because it was Solo okay. saves 20. I'm looking at it right on my note I did here. check yours. I'm not just... Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to... Um, That's okay. That's a nice reminder, though. I better I better talk to them and find yeah, out if I can go. upgrade. I think what it does <laughs> is they put it on for a year and then it, then it, um, it yeah. goes away. And then use Bernie's after he renews it. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Well, as for me, uh, I, I think I didn't talk about this on the podcast. I think it was in the pre-show. But I got off my butt today, and I 3D designed something. And I printed out a prototype. And the prototype doesn't work, but I'm pretty sure the second one will. And uh, what you guys at home can't see is a bandsaw brush holder and um it is a it it, i figured out after i took a little bit a couple measurements and i looked a little harder that um my original design was was not going to work if you're familiar with a delta bandsaw and the uh I, i guess what is what is this called tom is this the return gate the path that the blade goes the guard guard the return guard the guard yeah okay so on the return guard as the blade goes up into the upper uh wheel assembly um there are metal um let's call them brackets that slide over you made a new part 
I made this a new part. Exist. So this part actually replaces uh, the metal bracket. This goes right okay. here. And this part holds a brush. This is supposed to slide in, but the measurement was wrong. So as Where'd this... Where'd you buy the brush? Huh? Where'd you buy the brush? Dollar store. And this is actually yeah, okay. this is actually half a brush. This is this is for cleaning your fingernails. This is this is the half of one. So, but I'll sell these with the brushes installed. But anyway, uh, this mounts onto the guard, and it seats directly onto the tire. So it cleans all the sawdust off of the bandsaw tire as it's turning. And if you have a uh, pre, I want to say pre 1980s. I think it was in the 80s or the 90s where they introduced the brush into the deltas. Um, there are there's no option for a brush uh, from anywhere from the 1930s up into I'd say the early 80s. So you just you just had to deal with the fact that the the wheels will get caked up with sawdust. So this now gives you an option um, to to wipe the sawdust off, and um, it's got a quick pr print time too. This was this prototype was only an hour and 50 minutes. Uh, with support anyway um i don't know if i'm going to do this or not but i may end up making a second one that is the opposite of this that you can put on the top to clean off the top wheel as well um i don't know if that's overkill but i want to see how the first one works and um and that's it i haven't i haven't 3d designed anything in months it's been it's been well no that's not true i did all the holdenators man those holdenators really wrecked my brain. I didn't think I did anything for months. Um, this this I've been meaning to make. I've been meaning to make this since like last year. Like it's been this brush has been sitting on my desk since twenty aught twenty one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that's my news. And uh, Bernie, did you did you think of something? I did, actually, um, and it may involve. Uh some of you folks too. I'm going to be at Makers Camp this October. I'm oh. going to have a booth there. I'm going to have I've got these electric motor kits that were in works for uh, three years. <laughs> um, you guys know with product development how long mm -hmm. things can take. But uh, we had the uh, you know pandemic and um, had some other things going on in my life and it just got put on hold. But this is going to be a thing. So these are. Uh, they're just a little. Um, uh, it's an electric motor, which I I had one when I was a when I was a kid. I bought one, but then I also made my own. It's just a little five or six volt um, little kit. Uh, Suncut Send. Also, the parts are made at Suncut Send out of just mild steel, and uh, there's a little bit of uh, bending involved and some wire wrapping and. Uh, Put the parts, some 3D printed parts, put it together and put a few screws in and hook it up to either a little battery pack, which is uh, four AA batteries, you know, which will get you six volts. Or um, you can use it a uh, USB cord, plug it in, not to your computer, because I think Tanda might have been one of the people that told me not to do that. Uh, but you can plug it into like a phone charger, a USB phone charger and get five volts um, and uh, it'll run off of that as well. So... Uh, they're going to be little kits. I've got a couple of people that are teachers, science teachers, um, that thought that might be a neat thing for their classes, and they want to test them out and uh, you know see what see how that that goes. So I mean, it's fun for me. I like to play with the thing too. But I think for for some kids, maybe not super young kids, but um, you know. So anyway, Tom, did you have something? To are you 
No, are you printing all these parts yourself? Yeah. Do you need help? Yeah, maybe. Do you want help? Maybe. But they're they're okay. teal. They're not uh, they're not fluorescent green. Uh, <laughs> then he can't do it. I, well, I just wanted to make yeah, sure Tom, it was okay Tom with that. He's got on this uh, podcast that he doesn't print anything in blue, anything, because yeah, PJ wants ever, a blue frog pot. Never. Yeah. Yeah, no, never. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I will one. be it. No, I'd be happy. Yeah. I'd be happy to um, send you a box of parts. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. I'm not sure now. where we're going with that, but uh, having a print farm, yeah, no. having a print farm is... Uh, yeah, could be could be kind of a, a, a good thing because uh, the color really doesn't matter. I, I made them teal because teal is a complementary color to the uh, orangey copper uh, color of the wiring mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So it's kind of got a little bit of a fun uh, look to it. So, um, but uh, but yeah, so they're going to be. Um, I'll be at Maker's Camp with those. I have a booth. My son's going to be there, and uh, another friend of ours. They're bringing some robotic stuff from their the first robotics um, experience. Uh, he's gonna, they're going to build a robot while we're there over the weekend, and I'm going to have a couple of small classes. Uh, I have to still finalize it, but it should be just a just get some people in there, uh, six to eight people probably each day, and just let them build their kits, and they can take them home with them, and then I might have a few extra ones there for sale. But it's going to be like the launch of it. You know, it's not really a Kickstarter or anything like that. But, um, you know, you were just mentioning about maybe maybe doing a product. Everything I do for some reason, I don't want to do products, but everything I design seems to look like a product. I, I got this. This is my life. <laughs> I'm designing right. things to be mass produced, and I don't want to mass produce things. So having somebody right. else with a print farm would be, <laughs> that might be a thing. It might be a thing. This guy. Uh, so uh, that might be a, so. Yeah, that might be a new thing, a new product. You know, something that maybe I can uh, you know keep them in stock, having some you know some right. pieces printed and having some cuts and make those metal parts. And uh, maybe I make a few things here, box them up, you know, and stock them and see if I can do stuff. It'll all be low production though. You know, it's it's kind of fun to have a small group of people. I I think anyway, that your customers tend to be real personal personal friends you know the people that come in and just you know they either want to support or they really do like the thing and they you know it's more mm -hmm. of a nice thing because i have a lit i have a i've got part of it here um and part of it in the other room i've got a list of people that keep they keep telling me that there's these knockoffs you know of my other fidget toy and uh they, they they say i want an original one though i did buy the knockoff and it's whatever but i still want to buy an original one whenever you do it so it's really nice to have that community of people you know that are right that are interested in those things, you know, and, and like I said, this yeah. having, having a, being a parent, you know, my kids are a little older now, but making those things that I knew were fun when I was young, like that electric motor kit, you know, and then being able to literally right. have people at maker's camp right there, you know, and me seeing their experience with it, not just shipping something to them and having them do it at home on their own. And I don't know what's going on, but to actually it's a great way to get feedback, I think. So, uh, but anyway, are you, any of you uh, going to maker's camp this fall? Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. I'm going. They okay. they blackmailed me, Bernie. I, I now have to go. It's a, <clears throat> well, I don't, I don't want to be there. But proximity goes. You're the closest much. one, aren't you? Yeah, you're probably. Yeah, I I well, Tom uh, no, Tom's closer. I, I think I am. Tom's closer. Oh. But you know, um, I'm gonna okay. be bringing uh, probably all the drill presses. Not all of them, but a lot of them. I'm gonna bring drill presses to sell. Um, I don't know how many I'm gonna be able to get done, but. I'm bringing things there. I was told that stuff broke last year, and they needed machines, and nobody had any. So. Oh, okay. Are you have a booth, or are you tailgating this, or what are you going to do? 
I don't know. I, I don't know. I've got to talk to somebody up there and find out like what the deal is as far as like, how does that, how do I even set it up? I haven't talked to anybody. Um, but you know, that's the plan so far. Okay. So if you, um, and, uh, the makers camp, um, if you DM them on Instagram, you're going to get, did. you're going to get Austin, Austin handle. He's the guy in charge of it. So, um, I'm not sure how often he checks it. You know, usually I'll get a response within a day or so. So I I, um, I DM'd him like six months ago. I haven't heard back. Well, you can hit him again. He's a he's he a, probably he's knew a, it was you. Try using a an alias. <laughs> I have to use a different account. That's probably there. The you go. So, uh, Tom, are My you reputation. having? Do you have a booth, Tom? Are you having? Are you going to have a booth? No. No, I, no, because um, I don't know how long I'll be able to be up there. I haven't figured all that out yet. I got FrogPod coming, and I want to be done by then, but I don't know if I will be. Um, so I may not be able to be up there for three days or whatever. But um, I'm not sure what I would do. I'm gonna. I don't know I'm what I would be up do there the whole time. You would teach okay. frog potting, Tom. I mean, come on. Well, Tanda. I mean, I could bring a printer and and show people that if they haven't seen it up close and personal, which a lot of people haven't. That would not. be a pretty the maker interesting. I don't know, Tanda. Are you br- are you bringing skills with you to go? Show, are you showing I, something? I I said I was going to, and so I'm going to try to hold to it. I'm staying pretty busy these days, but what I would, and so I will definitely bring something in the scale of what I bring. But I should probably uh, contact Austin and just make sure that it's okay. I was thinking of doing kind of like um, kind of like Patty did where just somewhere under on a table, I set up a bunch of Arduinos and microcontroller stuff and let people, you know, and just handfuls of discrete <clears throat> transistors and LEDs and little motors and odds and ends that people can, you know, get a first blush um, look at doing programming of microcontrollers to get, to get over that hump of this is really not that hard and anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm bringing, and now I'm thinking I should probably um, make some little tiny VFDs for your motors. I think that would be fun. Yeah, that would be really, really neat. I, I think it's a collaboration uh, if we could make a little board that uh, was a VFD for your motor kit. Oh yeah, that would that would really be interesting. So yeah, you in fact, the speed. we're we're going to be that'd talking. Be that'd be a fun one this week. Um, I'm planning a little phone conversation. Uh, about what we're doing with our booth. So, um, am I, would you mind if I mention it um, when I when I talk? No, not, because no, we're combining our booth. Because I haven't I haven't crossed that bridge yet. So, and I need okay. to. If I'm going to bring something, I don't want to just show up with something and expect to have a spot in electricity. Well, that place is such a. It's a. You know, it's a. It's it's a park basically. It's a big open space, and yep. um, we we were kind of thinking that it would be advantageous, and we're going to do it. As far as right, the plan is right now, is that we're combining uh, my booth with the electric motor kits, um, with the booth with my my son and his buddy with the robotic stuff. That we'd be either combined mm-hmm. or right next to each other. So like so like the interest area would be right there, like right in the yeah. same area, versus having to walk across the field yeah, to get to um, one thing versus another. And yours is directly sure. related. And Mention so, it, and if they have space and there's a, a fee, I will pay it. I'll just make that decision now. So if there's a space adjacent to yours and there's some kind of fee or prep or something I need to do, just let me know, and I will I will do so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll I'll mention it to him when we when we talk this week and see what uh, what it is. In fact, um, you know uh, Patrick Reynolds. 
the electrician mm-hmm. that yep. helps Jimmy yeah, out yeah. with his stuff. He was talking about doing some just general, some sort of, I don't remember what it was related to some something electrical, electric, either home circuits or something like that. He was going to do some okay. talks on that. And he, he was even talking about getting, making sure he was, you know, if he could be in the same tent as we were. So it'd be more like, you know, if people are right there, they're going to be close to the same sort of subject matter. If they're interested in that, that's going to be like, would be the tent of electrical things or whatever you know no i'm, I'm definitely up, so. interested okay, um, great. and i'll i'll dm austin separate and mention you yeah. guys that you know what i'm looking to do okay will fit yeah, in great. With what you're doing and maybe what patrick's doing and yeah. yeah that corner you guys had last year was was pretty empty except for you guys so there's there's space yeah yeah and it's getting more there's more participants and things every year and it's getting a little bit more more organized which is you know and generally i guess it's good you know the very first year was like you know the only rule is is you know don't break any rules that are somebody's going to get hurt you know so right. it all worked out pretty good i don't nobody get burned too badly but they're going to be setting big things on fire so yeah no oh, well that was that was that was good the dino <laughs> last year was 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 very cool yeah. I'd like to be far away from the fire. I don't want my my stuff catching on fire. Just putting <laughs> that out there. So where, wherever wherever that is, I don't want to be there. But be be far away from there. So. All right. Well, I want to thank our top Patreon supporters, our very own Tanda and Creator Nader. And if you would like to be a Patreon supporter, you could just go to patreon.com forward slash makerskills, cough up a couple ducats. Uh, Tom, you got something you want to add? Yeah, we didn't plug Bernie at all. So makes, uh, nope. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Works by Solo on Instagram. That's where I follow you. And But go there and you'll find everything. Works by Solo pretty much everywhere, right? Yeah, my link tree. Uh, yeah, the well. link tree's on there. But I yeah. was lucky enough that... Right, that's where I found your... Yeah, when I went searching for a, for a handle on the social medias, I was able to find that Works by Solo actually is is was available on youtube it was a dot com yeah. and it's uh uh you know instagram and i think twitter yep. i'm not on there a whole lot and i think i even have a fairly visit not fairly visited uh sure. f- facebook page so yeah all right yeah so go check him out and bernie thank you for being on the show yeah thanks for asking me this is fun a lot of fun oh yeah all right we're heading off to Sorry, the secret PJ, segment that's it. We're, we're, we're done. It's secret segment time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time.